Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Welcome to something to wrestle with. Brett's Pritchard. Bruce Pritchard. Well, you know. That's not a rib. She pooted. She pooted. What a rib. No, you have a big There's no box of gimmicks. Rumor and innuendo. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. Was he there? I was there. I don't give a shit. I ain't scared of shit. I ain't scared of shit. Fuck him. You, Bruce. I love you. Double cheeseburger. Double cheese. Double mayo. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle With. And we are back in the saddle. What's going on, Bruce? How are you? Well, I'm here, Conrad Thompson, just here, by golly, ready to rock and roll. You know, it feels like it has been forever well, since I, we just got to talk here on this microphone studio system that we have going on, as you will. Well, I wonder why that is, Mr. Saudi Arabia, Mr. Emergency Dentist. Uh, you've had a, you've had some things going on in your life, baby. Welcome back. Well, it's good to be back. My God, ready to rock and roll. We're excited to be with you today. We're going to revisit a raw from 1997. We're doing a watch along today. So I want to encourage you to go to the WWE network. You know, you want to, and, uh, check out, uh, the in ring section and then raw replays, and then go to raw number two thirteen. That's from 1997, June 9th, 1997. Uh, this is a fun show. There's a lot of stuff going on. Of course, I've admitted for years here on the program that 1997 is one of my very favorite years in wrestling probably my very favorite and uh, i'm looking forward to today's episode bruce uh, you haven't watched this show since it happened what 22 years ago this is absolutely correct i have not so i'm looking forward to watching it myself as a matter of fact well we uh we appreciate you joining us with us today everybody we've got uh, a whole host of fun shows coming your way uh, i do feel like we should run down that list one more time of course we touched on it at the beginning of last week's show um, we've got, uh, June 9th, June 9th, 1997 coming at you today. Uh, next week, I mistakenly plugged King of the ring 1996. That is not what we're doing. We're doing King of the ring, 1994 made the wrong notes, but that's been requested for a long time. Bruce, we're going to talk about that main event. That was, ew, uh, Owen Hart's going to win King of the ring, but Jerry Lawler and Roddy Piper, boy, that was just, uh, what's the, uh, what's the old saying, uh, oil and water. Ugly. Yeah, there you go. Bowling we're, we're, shoe ugly. Yeah, we're in Virgil with the ugly. It was ugly. On June 28th, King of the Ring 1999. Then we're going to do something fun on July 5th. We're going to do a watch along of the July 6th Nitro. I know what you're thinking. A Nitro on something to wrestle? Yeah, I want Bruce's opinion on the show where Goldberg beat Hulk Hogan for the world title in WCW's Georgia Dome debut. Oh, what a big show that was. Uh, we've got Jim Ross coming your way on July the 19th, fully loaded 99 on July 26th, the rock from 01 to 04 on August 2nd, 
on August 9th, 20 years of Jericho. Of course, he debuted back on August 9th, 1999, and we were excited to bring that one to you on August 9th. August 16th, SummerSlam 04. August 23rd, SummerSlam 99. And maybe my favorite, August 30th, SummerSlam 89 with Zeus. That's good stuff. I love talking about Zeus here on the program, Bruce. Who do you like talking about? Zeus. Makes Zeus. I mean, Dookie. <laughs> that never gets old for me, man. Um, how about this? Cheers for that. And uh, I know what you're thinking. Cheers. That's right. Cheers after alcohol aid is designed to reduce the negative effects of alcohol. Whether you drink a little or a lot, like Bruce, two to four capsules before bed will have you feeling at least 50% better in the morning or your money back guaranteed. You hear me? A money back guarantee. To order, visit cheershealth.com. That's cheershealth.com and enter our promo code WRESTLE at checkout. You're going to get 10% off your first order plus a free gift. That's cheershealth.com, and the promo code is WRESTLE for 10% off and a free gift. Cheers. It's the best thing to happen to alcohol since alcohol. So without further ado, Bruce, I say we fire up this raw replay from June 9th, 1997. Are you ready? Man, I'm ready. We've got to get everybody else ready, make sure that they are all set, because I got mine all zeroed out, ready to rock and roll. And if you're ready for the countdown, I'll do a three, two, one play. And when I say play, we're going to hit the play button. Hey, before you do, I want to tell everybody that, uh, I had a great experience earlier this week. I, th I think I've told the story before, but I did it again. I had some friends and family in from out of town and, uh, I got to spend the day with a Tesla. Have you driven a Tesla yet? I have not driven a Tesla yet. I've, I've, they're a little too, um, what's that environmentally? Well, you know conscious you don't <laughs> yeah i don't want to be environmentally easy for me to say yeah uh, forget the environment i don't want to be conscious much less environmentally conscious right now so well you know i had saying. the i had the brother-in-law the former u.s champ uh in town this week and we were talking about the tesla and he hadn't driven one and i said oh man i i we got to find one and of course there's not a tesla dealership and in, in rinky dink in huntsville alabama so uh, I, I managed to get one through Turo and we, uh, we put it in insane plus mode. And I think I gave my mother-in-law a concussion because that thing is so freaking fast. I mean, the torque, it just threw everybody back. It's got like 680 horsepower and it's electric. So it's just power just like that. I'm mentioning this because Turo is once again, sponsoring our show this week. They're the largest car sharing marketplace in the world. It's available across the United States, Canada, and the UK, even Germany. There's more than 10 million users worldwide. So it's like Airbnb for cars. That's the way I sort of explained it. They've got the widest selection of cars available. So you choose the right car for whatever occasion and often at a lower cost than rental car companies, whether it's a pickup for moving day or a flashy convertible for a weekend away, you find the perfect car for your next adventure, just like I did with the Tesla. And if you're in a market for a new car, this is the way to do it. I did this before I bought a car earlier this year and I got to sort of try it before I bought it. I loved it. Hop on the Turo app or website, find and book the car you want, and then meet the host and they'll hand you the keys. It really is that simple. You can even choose for multiple protection plans for each trip, which include up to like a million bucks in liability insurance through Liberty Mutual. So what are you waiting for? Download the Turo app right now. It's super fun. We had a blast this week at my house. It's T-U-R-O on the app store or Google play, or just visit Turo.com and get $25 off your first trip when you sign up with the promo code WrestleJune at checkout. 
I'm gonna give that to you again. It's a little different than what we normally do. It's Wrestle June at checkout. And of course, terms apply. Bruce, without further ado, I'm ready to get cranking. You ready? I'm ready. Give us a countdown and then we'll press play when you say play. All right, here we go, folks. Ready in three, two, one, play. Oh, I forgot. I love this open. I'm going to play the audio so people can hear the, uh, the open. Cause this is one of the best opening themes to raw ever. Here we go. So number one, the leader in sports entertainment. Here comes the theme music. Yeah, baby. Dude, this gets you in the mood, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And you know, the beautiful thing about it is, is there is actually a building that looks exactly like this, uh, in upstate Connecticut that we used to, this was our favorite. We could get so many different looks out of this one place. And it was a fun spot to go and shoot. That's cool to know it was the same building for all those vignettes. Yes, it was. And, uh, you know, think about it, man. It was a ring on fire and a an inferno match before we even had a damn inferno match man what a fun opening theme i just uh i love it man it was the height of my fandom i guess i was uh 15 here about to turn 16 and i just gotten back into wrestling thanks to that damn hulk hogan turning his back on his fans and i thought well, what's what's this and then before i know it i'm like well hey if this is happening in wcw what's going on in the wwf ta-da man i was hooked again what a different era this is. Look at all the signs. People are going nuts. And there's pyro. Bruce, you're back with WWE now. Do you miss the pyro or have you just gotten used to it? It's like it was never there. Well, I tell you what, after uh hearing the pyro and not being ready for the pyro the other night, I don't miss the pyro <laughs> really as much. You know, you you save on underwear that way. Yeah, it's uh it'll catch you off guard if you're not ready for it. Woo! Look at the signs, Holy man. Cow. What a different era. Oh, it was good. It was good. It was fun to be, it was fun to be a fan and come on out and just absolutely blow some steam off and the audience. This was a great passionate time, man. I'll tell you what, look at that reaction for the road warriors. And of course the other man in their six man team here, Ahmed Johnson. What about those knee pad locations? Well, shit, those, those are what you call thigh pads, Conrad. Goddamn Connie. It, it goes all the way up into the thigh, the hamstring muscle, if you will. Uh, Ahmed was one padded up some bitch and he's got the, the triceps on the side, which I like as well. Uh, so what's the purpose of the, uh, the knee pads on the thighs? We've joked about this for a long time, but I mean, these guys are coming out with, with screwed up haircuts and face paint and spikes on their shoulder pads. But somehow Ahmed Johnson still looks the dumbest with these stupid fucking knee pads on his thighs. Well, I want to know where the fuck he got knee pads that he could stretch out that big. Cause he's got some huge legs. I will never know when you watch his matches. It wasn't like he was taking bumps on his thighs as well, man. It was just, uh, was he ashamed of his thighs? Do you think? I mean, I know that flair used to say that he would pull his knee pads down because he felt like he had what he called minuscule calves. Do you think that maybe Ahmed Johnson was Tasha? I'm not sure that he had any thigh insecurities at the time. If you know what I mean, he was a big boy and he had some damn big legs, but I don't know. I just think it was, well, maybe I want to look different. Uh, difference. Good. Sometimes that to me, is just different. Weird. what do you think of, uh, the nation of domination here? I think this version of the nation is probably my favorite. 
Well, this is the beginning of the nation, man, when we kind of started to grow it. And you got D'Lo Brown there, young up-and-comer that no one ever thought would kind of break out the way that D'Lo did. He was just a bit part player that could take bumps. D'Lo uh, is dressed like he's going to McDowell's to, to find the prince on uh, Coming to America right there. Hey, what do you make of the uh, the dudes at the top of the ramp? Who are those guys? We haven't spent much time talking about that bunch. That just a couple extras, just a couple extras that couldn't take bumps. So if you can't take bumps, stay away from the ring. Oh, there you go. I got you. Okay. Good See, rule. You thought. got your bump taking nations, and then you got your non-bump taking nations. See, D'Lo was part of the bump taking nation. The rest of them guys, they just nation followers that can't take no bump. I guess we should mention that, uh, this show we're covering for more than more than one reason. Needless to say, not just what happened in front of the camera, but what was going on backstage. We're one day removed from the King of the ring. And we just covered that on grill and JR with Jim Ross. If you'd like to hear about King of the ring, 1997, but this is the very next day. And this is the day where in that, that afternoon, uh, there was a little bit of a skirmish backstage that got everybody in the business talking. Uh, you've told this story a little bit before, and we, we certainly have recaps from books and newsletters, but when you realized, Hey, this is the show that we're going to be covering this week. Did you immediately remember, Oh, this is when Brett and Sean had the hair pulling fight in the back. Well, not only that, the funniest part about it was I had just been in Hartford recently and walked through this building, went in to each of the rooms where everything took place and kind of relived some of those moments of Sean coming in with handfuls of hair and the commotion and all the hilarity that ensued that day. We're going to get into that, but I do want to mention uh, some of the news notes that were going around at the time, including uh, Leaf Cassidy giving his notice to the WWF, but you guys reminded him, uh, Hey man, you can't give notice just yet. Uh, you're, you're in the middle of a contract and, and we can roll you over. Uh, but allegedly he was doing this as maybe a play to renegotiate. That's sort of Jim Ross's theory. Of course, we know that Al Snow is going to wind up, uh, jumping ship, going to ECW, creating the, uh, the head persona. And then he's off to the races. What was it about Al Snow that wasn't connecting here with the world wrestling federation in 1997? Jim Ross, uh, <laughs> was Jim down on him? Jim wasn't a big fan. No, Jim was too big of a fan of Al's ah. and, and that will work in your detriment sometimes whenever you're looking for someone and it, when Al first came in as avatar, it was every time that you would look for anybody to do anything, there would be this noise that would happen and people would look around like you just ran over a mouse, but it was Jr. saying avatar, avatar to where Vince just got sick of hearing the name avatar and Al snow. Did you see crush so, just roll to the corner right there? You damn right. Have you ever seen hey, that was like, uh, I don't know what that was, but I've never seen that before from crush. That was wild. That was a defensive, uh, forward shoulder roll there. By God, um, crush, you know, shit, some good shit. We teach, they teach that in wrestling school, Conrad. Yeah, but he's a giant. Like you don't see, yeah. you don't see forward rolls to make a tag from giants very often, but we saw one there and. I started to say maybe it's because he's trying to escape Ahmed, but I guess he was trying to escape animal. Anyway, continue. It seems like maybe, uh, Al snow was a victim of being jr where he just continually mentions him to the point that Vince is like on principle now, not going to push him. 
It just was something that, you know, we, we tried to come up with something with Al. We did the Leaf Cassidy thing that was a huge flop, and that was my idea. Um, but it sucked, and it was a flop, but it was a way to try and utilize Al and get his personality out because Al Snow, the human being, is a funny son of a gun, and he's entertaining. He's a hell of a good worker. Well, we were talking about what's new. What's, you know, what's always good. Yep. New and improved, new and this, new and that. So we had Marty Jannetty coming back uh, and that was the last time for Marty Jannetty, <laughs> but put him with Al Snow, make him the new rockers. And, and Leaf Cassidy was born out of that necessity. So let's needless about- to say, it didn't get over with no. the shit. Not at all. By the way, Al's new book has gotten over. I don't know that. Have you read this? We haven't talked about Al's new book, but it's tremendous. No, Al hasn't sent me one. Hint, hint, Al, send me a book. Well, if, you, if you're listening to this and you haven't read Al Snow's book, go do it this week. I loved it. Uh, I even text, I, I texted you to get Al's number so I could tell him how much I enjoyed it. And the greatest compliment I can give was, hey, I wish the book wouldn't have ended. I mean, I wish it would have kept going. I hope he writes another one. This is really one of the better books I've ever read on wrestling. It's called Self-Help, Life Lessons from the Bizarre Wrestling Career of Al Snow. It's everywhere you would enjoy books. All the bookstores like Barnes and Noble have it. Of course, it's on Amazon and Kindle and everywhere else, but it's a page turner and it's different from most wrestling books. I can't recommend it enough. Uh, you know, if I'm putting my stamp on it like this, then uh, it's pretty good. This is really good. Go check it out. Al Snow's new book is worth a look, but something that is worth mentioning here is who's no longer getting a look by the company. When that nation came down, you may have noticed the PG 13 tandem that we had grown accustomed to with nation no longer here. Of course, that's Wolfie D and JC ice. Those guys were staples in Memphis and, uh, well, they got over and now they're not here. What happened? Was there some residual heat with Jerry Lawler? Did they rub some of the boys the wrong way? Is it just a cost cutting measure? No, it was kind of a combination of, unfortunately, just different incidents that happened with them, either showing up later, showing up, not in a condition to perform, if you will. And great. You know, look, <laughs> both of those guys, Wolfie and Jamie, I thought were so talented. Good God. They just, they oozed talent. They really did. Weren't the biggest guys in the world. So to be able to utilize them, you had to find the right act for them. PG 13 and the wrapping that they did, I thought was excellent gave them some life but i don't know that they were really able at that point in their career to handle the fame and you know coming in late and and maybe partying a little bit too much i think that added to their not being there anymore and there you go there's your pinfall lod celebrating Farouk takes the pin after the pearl river plunge of course the rest of the nation sort of abandons him here uh Crush and Savio were almost at the top of the ramp by the time the match is over. Damn. What do you think of uh, Ahmed Johnson? We don't ever see Ahmed around anymore. What do you think he's up to these days? Probably soaking in a bath somewhere. Ahmed liked to take baths. Really? Yeah. That's a random note. How do you know uh, about Ahmed's uh, affinity for baths? Because there were times when it would be like Ahmed would say, hey, if you'd be on the road, he was going to go and have a drink and he had to take a bath, have a soak first. God damn it, JR. 
That's a good looking jacket you got there. I was waiting on you to say something. That jacket looks fucking goofy. How about the terrible Photoshop here for the belt on Steve Austin? (laughs) One of the worst Photoshops. These are goddamn graphics, Conrad. Look at the terrible IC on his shoulder. Man, (laughs) fucking software has come a long way. This is unbelievable. Oh man, this is going to be fun. I love this era. I love the Goldust character here. This version of Goldust was super fun. He just re-signed his contract in this era. He's going to be sticking around a little longer. And the expectation is that mankind will too. And there is your new king of the ring. And you've told us before, boy, Hunter fucking hated that crown. Did he not? I think that that crown had done something and said something really bad about Hunter's family repeatedly because it was like Kenny. As many times as we killed it, it kept coming back to get killed over and over and over again. Yeah. He destroyed it the night before at King of the ring, but jokes on him. You guys had Andre Freitas from AFX and Marietta make multiple. So he has another one here tonight. I wonder what's going to happen to it. I love that spot that we saw at, um, King of the ring where mankind gets his head caught between the, the middle and top rope. Of course, famously, that's where he lost his ear against, uh, Vader over in Germany, but what a spot the encore presentation we've never really talked about that a lot you guys would run the pay-per-views on sunday and then you would promote that there's going to be a replay tomorrow night on pay-per-view and so oftentimes you wouldn't even get the amount of footage we just got you guys would just show still photos i know that it's going to not be a substantial number but can you sort of freestyle a percentage of buys that you would get on a tuesday replay as opposed to a sunday original airing Well, what we would do is we would not only do the Tuesday, but we would also do the following weekend and do it a couple of times during the day. Since for a lot of the services, such as direct TV and things of that nature, it was open. So it wasn't like you're buying airtime or anything. It's just additional airtime to replay and tell people. Now you can plug what you missed and give give them an opportunity to, you can watch it on Tuesday night. You can watch it on Friday night. You can watch it on Saturday afternoon, Saturday night, Sunday morning, give them different times to watch the thing. And I would probably say it would account to maybe another 15 to 20%, depending on the attraction to the bottom line. Is there one show that was a replay that really outperformed? Like you knew you had a hit on Sunday, but maybe it was a bit of a sleeper. But once people knew what happened, they were like, oh, we're in. So here you go. This is what we're talking about. More still photos, sort of freeze frame. There you see China breaking the scepter over the back of mankind. And he's going to take the pin with the pedigree. Man, that was a good looking pedigree there. Oh, yeah. Um, is there one show in particular you remember? Like, man, the replays really outperformed our expectations. Well, I think, but by this time it was even a bit of a different replay was the, obviously the undertaker mankind hell in the cell match. That one did because of word of mouth, people wanting to see that. And maybe they had not seen it, you know, live that night, but they came back, but the replays by that point were just, it was second nature and and it was being available more and more readily by then. I'm going to uh, play just a little bit of audio here, just for a second of, um, Hunter's promo here in ring with fans. It's my turn and nobody in the WWF, not Ahmed Johnson, not mankind, not Shawn Michaels, not stone cold, Steve Austin. Look at that proboscis. Not even you McMahon is ever going to stand in my way again. Do you know what a proboscis is? Uh, no, I'm from Alabama. (laughs) 
That would be his, his schnozzle. You know, I was, I, I had deduced that that's what you meant just based on, um, well, everybody making fun of triple H's nose. I, this is interesting because this is, uh, maybe a year late for Hunter. I think we've covered this ad nauseum here on the show that he was probably penciled in to win the King of the ring, 1996. Of course the curtain call happens and that doesn't happen as a result. So instead Austin 316 is born and thank goodness it is. Uh, but in 1997, it's finally Hunter's time. Do you feel like he matured in that year from 96 to 97? And do you feel like his in-ring work or specifically his promos and character development improved? Because the 97 version of him has China. And I think it's probably a stronger promo than he would have been in 96. Do you agree? I do agree. And I think that the entire package, that whole presentation had grown and it also helped him as a single and kind of break away from Sean, from everything else to allow him to step up and be a single star because he, he wasn't relying as much on Sean and anything else. And, and I think it was a, a good time for him and probably did Hunter as much good, not becoming the King of the ring the first time. So mankind here is, uh, talking about his love of China and how he wants to kiss her and China, uh, in a very Mickey mouse style voice says you can kiss my ass. And here comes mankind, uh, doing a little promo on the big screen. Hopefully you're watching at home with us here. And now mankind's making his way down and Vince cannot wait to hightail it out. Bang, bang. Yeah. So we're a year away from him being thrown off the cell. Uh, and he's, he's already had, you know, a match on pay-per-view with, uh, Sean and of course, several matches with the undertaker. Oh, damn. Another crown. Wouldn't you know it? Oh. That's two crowns in a row. He's destroyed on mankind's head. We better get another one quickly for him because <laughs> otherwise people will not know that he is the king. Look at that piece of shit crowd. Look at the way he's, oh, this is the best. Lawler had better crowns. Can we just say? No, the Lawlers are the shits too. Oh, Lawlers, Lawlers are even worse. Boy, you're just being rude today. Well, they are. You're telling me that Lawlers look better. I'm just trying to be complimentary of somebody. Motherfucker. Look into it. Oh, well, <laughs> the old now, wait a minute. The, you're talking about the old, old crowns. Yeah. The OG one like crowns. Bobby Shane used to wear. Whatever ones you like. I'm talking about those. Okay. By the one Bobby Shane used to wear the Lawler stole. Boy, you just can't wait. You brought your shovels to today's conference. <laughs> I appreciate it. What? Well, thank you. We respect mankind. All right. Whatever. There oh, you go. Well, now you're all hot and heavy. I'm in now. Sonny here strutting that ass with that raw as war shirt. Wait, wait, get rid of that lower third. We can't see what we need to see. What are you doing, man? Kevin Dunn was in control of this. We'd be shooting from below. I'm just going to tell you now. Phone number, no longer active phone number, no longer active. Why would they not superimpose on the network? Like the, or the number to call and order merchandise now, like to me, cause that's probably be a great idea. <laughs> and by the way, I would make sure that everything we ran a commercial for here on the network, uh, we still sell now. We may not have a ton of inventory, but we'll get those t-shirt presses going. Well, BrucePritchard.com. That's the only place to go, man. Just have it everywhere. Imagine as you listen to this, a lower third that says BrucePritchard.com. Boom. I like it. Bam. This, this version of JR is interesting because you know, he's committed to the black hat, but boy, these jackets with the red sleeves, 
This feels like a fucking rib. I know it's not, but my goodness, what a bad idea. So there you go. How about uh, a couple of months ago in February of 97, the express tour in Deutschland, where we're going to see, um, who's now the European champion, believe it or not, the British bulldog, of course, early in 97, they had a tremendous match over there in Germany to crown the new European champion. It was between Owen and the British bulldog. And we're going to see some highlights of the uh, British bulldogs. A route to becoming champion. How about that big vertical suplex on Vader? Jeez. That's a, that's a hell of a feat. There's the match. Go out of your way to watch this one. March 3rd, 1997. These guys had a really, really great match. Probably underrated. I know you've talked about it because you hated the lighting and Vince hated the lighting, but it felt old school wrestling. I kind of dug it. I know it was on tape delay because you know, it's in Germany, but a cool moment for Davey boy, probably a top five moment in his career. Well, certainly top 10. Wouldn't you agree? I definitely would. And the thing that sticks out there is just the God awful raw strength and power of Davy boy Smith, that his son to this day, you know, really has as well, but God, Davy was powerful. Look at Tony Chimmel, how young he is there. That is unbelievable. You know what? I just realized looking at this and I'm going to text this to Layfield. Tony Chimmel looks like the love child of Bruce Pritchard and Jim Ross. No, he does not. Yes. If Jim Ross fucked Bruce Pritchard, Tony Chimmel is the result. Hey, and, uh, speaking of good looking couples, there's one or Marlena, as you like to say, was all the way live in 1997. Wasn't she? She was. And it was, this was, uh, the androgynous as, as we all know, the androgynous gold dust along with Marlena. Um, this was one hell of a couple, man, and people forget just how hot the gold dust was and controversial at that time. This was had people this had people talking and people wanting to to bitch about something. Find something to complain about. By God, they'll do it. But look at this though. I mean, this is a really cool effect by you guys. I mean, you hadn't done this letterbox format before. You've got a gold filter, gold lights. Uh, I mean, you guys went to a lot of, uh, extra added expenses, raining gold from the ceiling. I mean, you've got a major investment in this gold dust character. The presentation was quite unique, different from everyone else, probably before or after. And then in the corner there, Marlena lighten up. Yeah. It would always be funny. We'd be in non-smoking buildings. The reaction to people that would try and make her put her cigar out in the middle of matches would always be fun sometimes. Cause there was always one. Sure. And there you go. The European title as legend goes is, uh, the first time you guys use a Jamar, a Joe Marshall belt. You had been using primarily Reggie parks for more than 10 years at this point. And, uh, I think just to show the company what he could do. According to the story, as the story goes, he made this European championship. And I think it's, uh, green on the front and red backing, uh, as far as the leather, but he made this design and just sent it to the office to sort of audition for, you know, Hey, give me an opportunity to make your belts. You guys liked it so much. You made it a fucking division. Is that the way you remember that story going? Or do you have a different version of events? Well, we ordered a European championship. We were looking to have a European championship belt. Yes. But he didn't just send us a belt. And then we say, Oh my God, we got this belt. Let's make a division. No, that did not happen. One of the things, uh, that people are going to talk about forever and ever is the, um, the Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels issue backstage. We're going to get there, but I do want to talk about some sort of news and notes that are going on at the time. One of the things that Wade Keller reports 
is that the duties of George, the animal steel and chief J strongbow are going to be cut back here. Uh, you guys are only running one house show per night, so they're not needed as much, but they've been kept on board anyway. Uh, but now it's a cost cutting measure. So these guys are no longer going to be working full-time with the company. They're still kept on, but only as part-time. And as a result, uh, George starts looking for independent dates. These guys have been with the company a long, long time. So being told, Hey man, we can't keep you full-time anymore. We've got to take you part-time. That had to be something that was painful for Vince to do no matter what the financial situation, right? Yeah. Anytime that you have to cut back people's hours and you have to cut back what they're doing, that that's a tough decision to make because obviously it's less money for them, but he did keep them on and we were using them wherever we could, where it made sense travel wise for them and for us, but they were still with the company and just not working as much as they had previously. Also, you know, Jim Myers had had, uh, for a long time, you know, Jim had the bag and Jim had had surgery and, uh, quite a bit of his intestine had been removed and, and Jim had medical complications. Well, he had gotten to the point where they made a device that he could close up the bag. Jim wore those high tights anyway in trunks that Jim wanted to work again, Georgie Animal Steel. And Vince was just uncomfortable with him working. But I think uh, the animals still wanted to get out there and take some dates, actually working matches with his condition. And, and Vince wanted no part of that. You've got a great George Steele story uh, about international travel. Oh, yeah. The, Owen Hart used to tell the story all the time when we went into South Africa that they detained George the Animal Steel at the border. And we were on safari. I said, wow, Owen, what happened? And he says, yeah, he was trying to smuggle shit across the border. But I'm bump. That's a terrible joke. I mean, God bless Owen Hart for being the guy to come up with a colostomy bag joke. I mean, that's yes. not something a lot of people could find humor in, but Owen found the joke in that shit. Uh, I guess I should set the Get table it? here. Joke in that shit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Goldust here does a promo where he says that uh, it would be a European dream as to an American dream if he were to win the title. And I think on commentary, it's pointed out that Bulldog's wife, Diana, actually won Miss Calgary the night before. So that's kind of fun. Little footnote here for this match. Well, Mrs. Calgary, actually, not Ms. It was, it was a Mrs. Calgary uh, in Canada because they get married, I think, when they're 13, that they have to have Mrs. Calgary's and things of that nature. But, but yeah, Diana won Mrs. Calgary. Diana still looks, I mean, holy cow. She looks as good today as she did then. She looks the same. It's amazing. And her daughter is her daughter, Georgia is strikingly beautiful. I do want to mention that, um, the Sean Michaels, Brent Hart feud has been coming for a long time. I think everybody knows that there's been a professional rivalry even before WrestleMania 12, but on the heels of WrestleMania 12, Brett goes, takes a hiatus, comes back uh, in the fall of 96. And, uh, he's off to the races with Steve Austin at survivor series, but the original plan, I think everybody knows was a rematch from 12 at WrestleMania 13. This time, Brett would get the win back from Sean. We know that doesn't happen because in February of this year, Sean would lose his smile and leave. Uh, he's magically better right after WrestleMania. Uh, so Brett misses the main event payday. And now they're trying to build towards the heart foundation 
And Bret Hart is going to have some of the best work of his entire career as a result. So even though this wasn't the original plan, what we got out of it was some of Brett's best work with, with the whole Canada versus America. And I don't know that that would have ever happened had there not been some heat between Sean and Brett and had Sean not pulled up lame, we may not have gotten that work out of Brett. And I don't know that that gets talked about enough. What say you, Bruce? I wholeheartedly agree with you. And it was in so many ways, Brett's attempt to say, Hey, I'm viable and would point to the kind of reactions that he was getting internationally, whether not just in Canada, but internationally, Bret Hart's popularity was off the chart. And Sean was still the, you know, like in many, many ways, that favorite son in the States, you could take the whole Bret Hart evolution, if you will, and look at it and just say that you are right. It was breast best work by Bret Hart because he got to be himself and he didn't have to change. Now, Bret would tell you, yes, we made him change for the heel persona, but it wasn't that much of a stretch. I do. It all worked. I do want to mention that, um, a lot of the heat now that Brett's back, of course, Brett's upset that Sean wouldn't quote unquote, do the job for him and return the favor at WrestleMania 13. But Sean is upset because Brett come back, came back with a bigger contract. He felt like while Brett took a break, Sean had to carry all the heavy lifting and, and, and put the company on his back, uh, through April, May, June, July, September, October. And then of course, Brett comes back in November. So he is of the impression that. You know, he deserves to be the highest paid. He's the champ. Brett's back. Brett's not the champ and he's the highest paid. Now Meltzer would argue probably the two best workers and performers and most over talents in the company at this point are Steve Austin and the undertaker, but neither one of them are the highest paid either in the pecking order per Meltzer. It's Brett, then Sean, and then undertaker. And then somewhere down the list is Steve Austin. Well, this bubbles over into in front of this camera and Sean Michaels is going to call out Brett and say that he's had some sunny days and that's going to cause some problems for Brett at home. Uh, eventually he gets, uh, the adults calm down, but then the kids go to school and the kids are, are hearing this too. And now it's a real problem at home. And Sean would say he only did that because Brett had sort of mocked him being in Playgirl. So they're going back and forth, taking some, some real shots at each other. And then Brett is injured on the way to King of the ring has to have a knee surgery. So, and we've covered this before, but he's in the wheelchair cutting a promo on Sean and he's supposed to stand up and get super kicked. Brett misses the cue. So raw goes off the air with Brett, just berating Sean and Sean, just taking it. The super kick happens, but it doesn't make air. So they don't show it until that weekend. And then the following week on raw, by the time they get backstage, everyone is furious. And as a result, Brett doesn't feel like he needs to try to power through the match at King of the Ring because that's where we were supposed to finally get Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart the rematch. And this was the night before this Raw we're watching at King of the Ring. So when Brett pulls out, they call an audible and they pivot. So now it's Steve Austin versus Shawn Michaels who found themselves as unlikely accidental tag team partners and tag team champions. And then when they get to the building here... Well, things escalate from there. Here we see uh, Ken Shamrock coming in to make the save on Marlena. 
boy, he got him high on that one, didn't he? Shamrock is scary, man. And Shamrock and Bulldog, those two bulls locking horns, made for some good, real, solid, believable matches. Yeah, it is believable because everybody knows how strong Bulldog is. That's been well established for more than a decade here in the company. And Shamrock has been positioned as the world's most dangerous man. So if you've got a legit badass against arguably one of the strongest guys in wrestling, hey, that makes for an intriguing match. Yeah, it does. And the intensity of Shamrock certainly let everybody know that all of his shit was believable. But, you know, going back to the whole Sean and Brett situation, it just was one of the personality conflicts that wouldn't go away. And no matter how much, you know, either one tried, they still, at the end of the day, it was like two kids. They had to get the last word in. No matter. It's like, okay, okay. Uh, you know, we're fine. Okay. I forgive you. I forgive you. Okay, great. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Your mama still sucks. Um, oh my gosh. Shit like that. This. The million dollar challenge from discovery zone. They're, they're plugging here a contest. I can't believe this is real at SummerSlam where you guys are going to give away a million bucks. Uh, we've covered that on our SummerSlam 97 episode. Go check it out. And in that skit, by the way, whoo. Sonny was as roll tide as roll tide gets when Todd Petten. Oh my gosh. Look at him. Would you just look at this? Boy, Michael Hayes is now interviewing a door. Yes. If I could get, if I could get word from you, Mr. Nation. And he held the microphone to the door. I can't get in. (laughs) Hey, Hey. So here we're going to hear that Farouk is saying that Savio Vega and crush are fired. And he's looking for him because they left him abandoned here. Doc Hendricks is still <laughs> on the prowl trying to get somebody to cut a promo for him. He finds Crush and Savio. What do you think Savio is saying here? Uh, Usted. How, how much money? Con would, queso. Would, how much? Con queso. What's wrong with you? He's from Puerto Rico, not Mexico. They got queso in Puerto Rico. I love you. Hey, uh, how much would Michael Hayes pay to have that amount of hair again? Well, and I especially like the way that it's all feathered, nice and neat with a little duck tail in the back too. Okay. So here's the firing promo where, where he's going to reveal that. Let's talk about what's happening backstage though. Meltzward, right. Apparently the problems escalated before the show on June 9th as both were meeting in long personal conversations with Vince McMahon to the point that McMahon was having little time to converse with anyone else regarding details and attention to the ensuing live television show. Uh, Hart wound up going into Michael's dressing room and the two began arguing and there were eyewitnesses to this, which basically said they argued and started fighting and it was broken up rather quickly. Most versions have it that Hart was screaming about how Michael's comments had affected his personal life and he crossed the line and Sean was a smart ass back. The two went at it with most versions having it that Hart started it, but Michaels was every bit as guilty and precipitating it. It was believed to have been a one-sided short tussle, which resulted in a few punches thrown and a large clump of Shawn Michaels hair being pulled out of his head to the point that it was described that Michaels was given a major bald spot. Uh, Michael's face was all puffed up from the punches and he was bleeding from the elbow, apparently from being thrown to the floor. Hart apparently aggravated his recently repaired knee, but none of the injuries were serious. And the agents, Briscoe and Patterson, and some other wrestlers quickly broke it up with Hart on top of Michaels pounding on him. And Briscoe and Hart 
argued loudly back and forth in another room for a long time before Brett finally left the arena around 8:30 without appearing on the television show. Michaels was blown up from the fight and a little worse for wear, but not injured to the point he couldn't have appeared on TV. He was scheduled to wrestle Brian Pillman in the television main event, doing the run in after the Hart Foundation were all scheduled to jump Austin as he was coming down the aisle for the match. The Austin Pillman match had been hyped all week, and that was canceled because Austin re injured his right knee, which was the good one, by landing wrong and coming off a top rope spot during the previous night's match with Shawn Michaels at King of the Ring. The knee was swollen so badly to the point they decided to keep him out of the ring on June 9th, although he was willing to gut it out during the match. They just didn't want him to be hurt any worse, given all the problems. And you can add Austin to the list of guys who will be missing this weekend's major shows in Montreal and Toronto. Michaels was going crazy after the predicament and said he could never work against anyone in the Hart Foundation because he couldn't trust them. And he ended up walking out of the building, claiming he couldn't work or stay in this type of environment just before the show was to go on the air at 7.57. So these guys leave about a half hour apart, but they're both gone. Um, and Jim Cornette has a version of this that, that you can probably share with us as well. Well, Cornette and I were in Vince's office when all this took place and we were going over that night show and just some different things. When Sean burst into the room, holding two huge clumps of hair and we're looking at it thinking, what the hell is that? Is that a small animal or what, what the fuck is that? And. Sean went on to talk about unsafe working conditions and that he's not going to take it anymore and that he's going to go home and Bret Hart attacked him. And, and basically from, I don't know how many witnesses that were actually there. I don't know if there were any witnesses that were there other than Brett and Sean for the fight that actually see how it started. And that's something that I think only those two really know what happened, but Brett and Sean had both kind of told the story that they kind of locked in and kind of got almost into a hockey fight with Brett putting Sean through a wall, like a false wall. We had those big, uh, sound barriers and they went into, fell into a shower and then Pat Patterson walked into the locker room and heard the commotion and got in between them before other people could get there and kind of get in between them. But I don't know. There were a whole lot of, uh, punches thrown or anything like that. Hey, look, a lot look of hair pulled out. Look what's going on right now. This is being acknowledged on commentary, but Tommy dreamer wearing an ECW shirt and Paul Heyman wearing an ECW hat are coming down the stairs in the crowd and, uh, they're being acknowledged on camera. How about that? Of course they are. My good friend. This is, it is Hartford. This is my country. It is, um, fun to see this happen because ECW's positioned itself as the, uh, the underdog, the renegade promotion, the WWF normally didn't acknowledge anything like this, but they are here. Oh man. Look at this furnace and LaFon. man. What could have been, these guys were some badass wrestlers, but for whatever reason, the charisma, the persona the character, whatever, it just didn't click here in the company. It really didn't. They, they were tremendous tag team, uh, that primarily found their success in Japan where they didn't have to cut promos and didn't have to do anything other than wrestle, you know, between the bell. So now when you come here, uh, LaFon had a difficulty with, uh, lang language. He was French Canadian and, and he had a hard time 
uh, speaking the language and being able to understand him. And Doug wasn't really a promo guy. Doug Furness, by the way, is one of the strongest guys in the history of wrestling. And nobody really talks about that, but you would agree with that, right? Oh, Dave, without a doubt, Doug had a lot of strongman records and all time. Like I believe he had a squat record for a long time. That's right. Yeah. So they're taking on the headbangers here. Uh, I recently talked about the headbangers with JR and, uh, I sort of freestyled that maybe these guys could have had a bigger career had they not been in the headbanger gimmick. I mean, they were certain they had a good reputation. They were reliable. I mean, they, they had good matches, but maybe this gimmick sort of pigeonholed them. And I asked him, Hey, is that a Russo gimmick? And he surprised me with his answer. He thought it was probably a Jim Cornette gimmick. And he felt like maybe these guys could have had a better run as the headbangers. Had they explained a little bit with vignettes, what a headbanger was and maybe done some vignettes to sort of give a backstory to who they were and why they were the way they were. Do you remember this being a Jim Cornette gimmick? That was fascinating to me. It was a Jim, Jim Cornette gimmick. Yeah. This, these guys were pre Russo. It's amazing to me. Let's keep it going here with the discussion. Um, Meltzer would write other performers claim as he left the building, he being Sean, that he was screaming about how he was quitting and that he could make it to Boston on time. Just as soon as he got there, of course, Boston is where nitro is being held. Um, at that point, the entire TV show had to be scrapped and a new show put together literally minutes before it went on the air. And the thing that I found in my research here that really stood out to me is that as a result of Sean walking out, the Canadian stampede main event changes. I didn't realize that in the original version of that match, Sean Michaels is in there and he's obviously pulled as a result of this scrap with Bret Hart and he's replaced with Ken Shamrock, man, what might the. Uh, don't get me wrong. One of the best main events in WWE pay-per-view history. Absolutely love Canadian stampede, but imagine the heat. It would have been another fucking level. Maybe I, mean, I don't know how it's even possible, but it feels like it could have been even a little greater if Shamrock was out and Sean was in. Yeah, that, that would have been riot quality. Uh, <laughs> back in the day, like we used to say, that would have been that hot, white, hot heat, just good riot quality where we, you know, tore the house down and had them hanging from the rafters. I had the belt, you know, that kind of shit. It would have, that would have been some good shit. Somewhere on the show here, Vince McMahon is going to address the situation. This is all from the observer saying late in the show that both men had been sent home from the arena due to conduct, unbecoming a professional. And Jim Ross acknowledged the incident on the WWF hotline, calling it a fist fight and not going into any more details other than making it clear it was not an angle and that Michaels had walked out on the WWF and he didn't know what the results would be, but he acted like he wasn't sure of the future of the tag team championships between Sean and Austin as a team and that a decision about it would be made this week. Now, the next day, Vince is going to send out an internal memo to executives saying last night in Hartford, Sean Michaels breached his contract by refusing to perform we are hopeful Sean will reconsider his position and return to work. Sean has four years to go on his five-year contract. The door is open for Sean to return under the terms of his contract. Melzer would say by virtue of that memo at press time, it would have to be concluded that unless a reconciliation takes place, that for the time being, Sean won't be appearing on the house shows advertised or future television shows, but there are no official replacement matches aside from the change in Calgary since the incident had just taken place. What happens next should... Michael's not returned is really a tricky situation. If he doesn't perform, he could, and would likely be suspended without pay. 
the question becomes, can Titan theoretically, if things don't work out, suspend him for four years without pay? Would they continue to pay him his downside guarantee, but lead to be close to 15 grand per week for not working to keep him from breaching his contract and enabling him to go to WCW? Or could Michaels use the fight and other incidents in the past, such as when he was given a scare by the Harris brothers uh, in the dressing room at Madison Square Garden to try to claim an unsafe working environment as a way to legally be let out of his contract to go to WCW. So we'll keep the dialogue going, but let's take a pause here. This unsafe working environment is something we had heard about. It's a famous line, I guess, from Sean. Um, did Vince worry? Hey man, he's going to try to use this as a way to go to WCW or did he just think, ah, this is Sean being Sean. He'll cool down. I think it was Sean being Sean and we just kind of, at that point had to get through it. So they went back and forth all the time. They being Brett and Sean. So it was another, it was another chapter in that story. Allegedly Sean and his father had a meeting with Vince McMahon on May 18th to air out their problems. And at that time, Sean told McMahon that he wanted out of his contract to go to WCW and he claims that Michaels told him if he went to WCW quote, I could be set for life and Vince refused to let him out of his contract. I don't remember ever hearing about that meeting. Do you remember a meeting that Vince had with Sean and his dad where he asked for his release in May so he could go to WCW? Yeah, I remember that them having several meetings, as a matter of fact, where Sean was unhappy and, and Vince was unhappy as well. And it just... Uh, those seem to be ongoing all the time, not only just with Sean, but with Brett too, of, of unhappiness and wanting either the other one's gone or I'm gone. A lot of that play during that time. Allegedly, and this is according to the, uh, observer report reports that Michaels had a clause in his contract that guaranteed him being the highest paid wrestler in the company turned out not to be true. However, Michaels has claimed that he and McMahon had a verbal deal on such when he signed his contract. Do you remember that being discussed that he had some sort of, you know, we hear about that a lot with like, you know, on the WCW side of things, the famous favored nations clause. Do you remember hearing there was a discussion at least from Sean that, Hey, I was promised I'd be the highest paid and I'm not. I'd heard it. Yeah. Sean say that. Yes. And whether or not he actually had that with Vince. I don't know if they had that verbal deal or not, but I had heard Sean say that before. Definitely. Brett wrote about all this in his book. He says, King of the ring went down on June 8th, according to the new plan. And the next day we were all supposed to be at raw in Hartford. Sean was nowhere to be found. I happened to mention to Jim that as soon as I saw Sean, I was going to straighten him out once and for all. I never thought. Nightheart could be the voice of reason, but he got a worried look on his face and pleaded with me, please. I just got back here. Don't do anything now. God, Brad, I need this job. Just forget about it. What could I say? I resigned myself to not beating the shit out of Sean at around six o'clock. I went into the bathroom to gel my hair before going across the hall to tape interviews. And I was surprised to see Sean's reflection go by me in the mirror. I could see he was uptight. I smiled and casually said, Hey, Sean. And he cut me off. Fuck you. You haven't talked to me in over a fucking month. What makes you think I'm going to talk to you now? Even though I had gel all over my hands, I was primed to go back to my original plan, but Sean vanished through the doorway past crush. who was lacing up his boots and heard the whole thing. I set out to find Sean, but he was gone. And I paced around the backstage area until Owen, Davey, Jim, and Pillman came to find me. 
I know Sean's watching from somewhere waiting for me to leave this room. I said, I bet you the second I walk out of here, he'll walk in. All this stuff is in here. Watch across the hall and walked into the interview room and cracked the door open to peek back into the hall. Sean strode past me in the dressing room and he was bent over fixing his boots. When I marched straight up to him and I pushed him to his feet, you got something to say to me. He flicked a weak punch at me and missed balancing awkwardly on my good leg. I popped him on the chin, rocking him on his heels. He came for me. So I grabbed him by his long mane and pretended I was doing a hammer throw at the Olympics. And I was dragging him around the room when a hysterical Pat and frantic Lawler ran in and jumped on top of me, unable to pry me off. Pat shouted for the other wrestlers to help, but Davey and crush had no intention of trying to help save Sean. It was nothing but a stretch fight. Really? When we were finally separated, clumps of Sean's precious hair fell from my hands and I blasted him. Don't fuck with me or my family. You little fucker. Sean looked ready to burst into tears as he stomped across the hall to Vince's office, shouting loud enough for everyone to hear. And Sean quit saying it was an unsafe working environment. And then he stormed off slamming doors behind him. And Vince looked like a jilted lover whose boy toy had just up and left him. But he told me that this had not only been inevitable, but long overdue. And it was his fault for not dealing with Sean sooner. He told me to take the night off and I felt silly to have to come to blows over something so stupid. But while everything in wrestling was supposed to be bullshit, that bullshit was everything to me. Before Raw's off the air, Vince was hyping the inside story of a backstage Raw between me and Sean for sale of fans on his 900 number. So chat me up. Uh, his version of events is maybe a little different, but not too terribly different from what we heard. What do you think of the statement, you know, that Vince insinuated this was inevitable and it was his fault for not dealing with it sooner? That's probably pretty accurate because I think if we had gotten everyone together and just nipped it in the bud, I don't think any of us on the outside, if you will, that weren't traveling with those guys day in and day out really understood just how far it had gotten. Yes, there was animosity, but you know what? There's always going to be animosity between certain people. And if we really knew it was really that bad type thing, because a lot of times you'll hear, oh, it's really bad. And you'll get everybody together and it's nothing. It's just the boys stirring the shit. Right. And making much ado about nothing. So in this particular situation, maybe that's kind of how we looked at it, that this is eh, as much to do about nothing. Maybe there's a lot more, uh, smoke there. There's not a whole lot of fire. what do you think and of that? Um, that angle they just shot in the bathroom, of course, right here, we're, we're seeing Brian Pillman and Steve Austin have a scrap in the bathroom, sort of art imitating life, I guess, or maybe life imitating art. Cause that was taped from King of the ring, but at the King of the ring show, he, uh, he being Austin pronouns, foul attacked Pillman from behind and put his head in the toilet and they had a camera in the stall Klondike bill style. what did you think of the, uh, Brian Pillman getting a swirly? Well, I loved it because we talked about just the kind of different shit. You know, when you, when I was a kid playing football, that was almost an everyday life situation that took place your first, you know, like two or three weeks of football, the, the freshman coming in or the, the 
sophomore juniors that were starting on varsity. That was kind of their rite of passage. Somebody was getting a swirly almost on a daily basis. And we were talking about just locker room antics and that's how it came up. And that was real life. Just watching that take place. And I thought that it gave a good real, a real vibe to shit breaking down, breaking down at Tulsa by God. Hang on. The swirly was your idea. Yeah, that's tremendous. I love that. Everybody, anytime I assume, I mean, I just assume if there's a toilet humor, if there's some sort of shit reference or joke or bathroom, whatever, it's Vince McMahon. But no, in this case, it was Brucey. Yeah, it was, but it was, came from a conversation with Pillman and we were talking about just locker room brawls and just shit as kids playing football. And that came from a conversation with Brian Pillman. So, uh, let's, let's give you Sean's version of events from his book, you know, cause as they say, you know, there's, there's, uh, my version, your version and the truth somewhere in the middle or however that cliche goes, well, here's Sean's version of events on June 9th. We had a television taping in Hartford. I was in the dressing room when he came up to me and said, I just want to say, and I cut him off before he could finish. Don't talk to me. You haven't said a word for three weeks. If you can't talk to me for three weeks, I don't want to talk to you now. I don't think Brett was used to people talking like that to him. And about five minutes later, I was turning around to get some gear on my back and I felt somebody push me from behind. I turned around and Brett asked, what the fuck's your problem? You, I yelled. He tried to punch me, but I peeled back and he missed. He pushed me again. And this time I stood up, he swung again and missed. And the next thing I know, he went for a double leg dive. I caught him around the upper body and we went straight back through a piece of paneling. We had each other in front face locks when Pat Patterson and Davey boy came over and grabbed us and Pat was yelling, come on guys. I let go and Brett yanked a handful of my hair off my head. That hurt like heck, but I didn't retaliate. The fight was over. I went storming into Vince's office and I told him I'm out of here. This is BS. I saw Aldo Montoya who later wrestled here is just incredible. And I asked him if he'd give me a ride back to my hotel. He wasn't wrestling that night. So he took me. I missed the show and flew home the next day. Vincent, my lawyer, Skip McCormick, who I hired when I found out that Brett's contract, a letter stating that I had violated my contract. Skip responded by writing a letter claiming that WWE had failed to provide a safe working environment. Skip told me they were trying to blame everything on me, but once he wrote the letter, it would be back in their lap and they would ask me to come back. That's exactly what happened. In a few weeks, we had settled everything and I was back. And as far as I know, nothing happened to Brett as a result of the fight. Um, I mean, you know, better than me, what did happen to Brett as a result of the fight? Anything? I don't really recall what the hell happened with Brett. I don't think that I think both guys were reprimanded and basically scolded but I don't know that there were any monetary fines or anything like that because both guys were guilty and Vince just wanted to get beyond it. So, you know, move the fuck on and, and get over yourselves. How about what we're seeing on the screen here? This is before tweets. These are, uh, internet messages, um, where fans are praising King of the ring and you're, you're showing it as a way to sell King of the ring. Oh, this is the best pay-per-view in a long time. Oh, this is a great lead in for SummerSlam. Uh, this is a fun way to sort of continue the sale for the pay-per-view, but not something you did very often. Are you doing this just as an effort to do whatever you can or ring out some more cash? I know that in 97, things are kind of lean at different points in the year. Well, no, it, it's a way, again, you're utilizing every medium that you had 
And this internet thing that we didn't know if it was going to take off or not was something new that all the kids were into. So try to just exploit any and every avenue that you possibly had. We got Mr. Monday night, Rob Van Dam coming to the ring here. And of course, Tommy dreamers brandished a chair here. It's a padded chair that says raw is war. It's a collector's chair, but whatever. He still wants to swing in at Rob Van Dam. And you see the uh, guardrails already disconnected over there, which is kind of fun. But of course, Paul Heyman has a real issue with Jerry Lawler. And, uh, when I say real issue, I mean, you know what I mean? Um, I guess the story we need to tell everybody here is. Rob Van Dam has quote unquote defected from the extreme championship wrestling organization because he thinks he's good enough to wrestle on Monday nights. So his services are now available. He's calling himself Mr. Monday night. And, uh, Jerry Lawler is maintaining that the ECW arena is made out of shit, uh, which is, um, extremely, extremely crappy wrestling. wrestling. Yes. Oh my God. Look at this. What a commercial, the pro max award winner, which it was. Yeah. That was a big deal. That was one of the first commercials we ever entered, like in a competition for Emmys pro max, which was the advertising award deal. And it won. Yeah. It's, it is kind of funny. You've got all your stars there, uh, promoting SummerSlam and the ad, uh, very well done. Who would have put that together? Well, I can't say Chris Chambers, so uh, I'd probably say David Sahadi because I believe it was Sahadi actually at that time, but that whole crew of Chambers, Sahadi, and everyone. So look what we see. Uh, this past weekend, uh, ECW Arena was the host of uh, Jerry Lawler doing an invasion, and uh, when they turned the lights off and turned it back on and it was Lawler there, uh, the fans were ready to riot. They went nuts. And Rob Van Dam is going to be featured here on Monday night raw because Lawler's giving him this opportunity to get rid of his ECW employment and finally become Mr. Monday night. And he's going to take on another ECW alumni Too cold Scorpio. Who's now wrestling here as flash funk. And of course, what we've set up is a match for hardcore heaven in August of 97, which will be Jerry Lawler taking on Tommy dreamer down in Fort Lauderdale, Florida at the war Memorial. So. This, uh, ECW WWF relationship is, uh, basically put in place to try to counteract the, I don't know, the hotness of the NWO because WCW is running roughshod over the company and Vince is now willing to take chances. Maybe he hasn't in the past. Fair to say. Yeah, we, we definitely were. And it was also, we were in need of some place for talent to go and, and some other place to find new talent and bring and groom some new talent. ECW was an alternative. ECW was some place that we could look to and have an exclusive deal with so that talent working there would have available to them a first option being us. And that was the, eh, that was the general agreement between ECW and WWE. They're going to do some, uh, some innovative moves here. Uh, you're, I think you're going to see a split legged moonsault in a minute from Rob Van Dam, which is probably the first time something like that had been done in the WWF. What was the impression of Rob Van Dam by the front office here in the summer of 97? Well, I look, everybody liked Rob. I think that people felt 
the same thing that they still do a lot of times with some of the younger talent that there was more emphasis on moves and high spots and what have you versus selling and telling a story. So that was the overall consensus. And Rob did some very unique shit, but Rob was a little different in, in that Rob could sell and Rob did know how to work. And when he took his time, his shit was very believable, very snug. I <laughs> just ask anybody, including Rob. And I think that, uh, Rob Van Dam has a very unique charisma about him that he looks like somebody, he carries himself like somebody and he's got star written all over him. Man, this is, uh, it's fun to see because I was a big two cold Scorpio fan, always been a big Rob Van Dam fan. And the idea of this is happening just in the middle of a random raw at 97 is, uh, is pretty fun. And what's cool. What a moonsault, man. Scorpio had one of the best looking moonsaults ever, didn't he? Scorpio could do it all. And I think that if we had gotten Scorpio probably two years earlier than we did, uh, before the injuries and before he was just totally banged up and, and his best bumping legs were behind him. I think that, uh, it would have been a completely different story with Mr. Flash Funk. So you think, uh, you guys would have known what to do with uh, a two cold Scorpio in 94 rather than 96 when he came in. Cause 94, you guys were still trying to figure shit out for a talent like him. It feels like. I do think so. Because again, we didn't have the banged up. We didn't have the injury prone and we didn't have, you know, he didn't have all the nagging injuries and baggage that he had just two years later. Think about, you know, a two cold Scorpio in late 94, early 95, with like Owen Hart. The type of matches those guys could have had together would have been absolutely incredible. And I think that Scorpio probably could have helped lead that group of not bigger guys. Cause Scorpio wasn't a huge guy, but he, he was big enough. He was thick enough and he could hold his home with the heavyweights. Yeah. That's what I was going to say is when you said he wasn't a big guy, I mean, for him to be able to do the, the, the acrobatics that he could do. I mean, he's probably what two thirty. I mean, that's pretty big to be doing some of the stuff he's doing. No shit. And like Rob Van Dam doing the shit Rob Van Dam does in his weight. And it's both are incredible athletes. And I think that, uh, that's what made him different. Here is Paul Heyman. I will take, you. I am going to hug you, Jerry Lawler. Look at the skull. There's a skull at the hats off and the bald's there. Paul's not covering up from punches from Lawler. He's just covering up. So you don't see the top of his head. Paul having the really long ponytail, but the really thin hair on top. I don't know why I never, oh my gosh. It's very Michael Hayes current day. Well, we called it the skullet. The, yeah, sure. It just, uh, oh, hell I thought that was, that's the referee there. I thought that was Heyman for a second with all the bald hair. And Lawler's got that hair in a can that he ain't about to let anybody, you know, get, get too wet to fall away. But this, I what? love Jerry Lawler and Tommy dreamer. I don't know why that random pairing tickles me, but it does. I want to mention, we saw earlier, you know, we were talking over it probably about Brett and Sean and we saw a, uh, a backstage little clip of Mark Mero with his back to the camera where he's not acknowledging that he's on camera sort of talking to Sable and Sable nodding with her head down. I guess he's sort of 
I mean, we're, we're definitely setting the stage for him to be the heel. He doesn't want his wife to do this or do that. It's good stuff. Especially when you know what we're going to see here in a little bit. It's one of the highest rated segments on these shows back then was believe it or not, just Sable fucking walking to the ring. Absolutely. I do want to mention the show we're watching right now. got a 2.18 for the first hour and a 2.30 for the second hour. So the, uh, the rating winds up at a 2.24. You compare that to nitro, which got a 3.10 for the first hour and a 3.75 for the second hour. Nitro gets a 3.43. So a full point higher than what raw was pulling in pretty incredible. How far ahead WCW was here, especially when the quality of the stuff that we're seeing here from the WWF is really good. And a lot of that is because of this guy, Ken Shamrock fans, um, had been accustomed to him being the world's dangerous man. They had plugged and promoted him as, you know, what ABC says is the world's most dangerous man. And I just had a conversation with Jim Ross about Shamrock and I asked him the same thing that you, I've asked you for years here. Why did you guys not do more with Shamrock in 98? It felt like he was primed for the big push. We know now why he's out here at ringside, because they're going to start setting the stage for him to be a part of this July pay-per-view main event, Canadian stampedes, the heart foundation's coming to the ring. And he said that, uh, Shamrock had proven to be a little unreliable at times where he would miss dates or he would be late to shows. He would oversleep and miss his plane. Maybe he was doing a little too much partying. Maybe he just wasn't taking it seriously, but, uh, it happened on more than one occasion. And eventually he had to find him a whole week's pay and told him he wouldn't do it again. He would just cut him and let him go. Do you feel like Vince felt like, Hey, I can't make him a top guy if he's not reliable. And that's the reason he wasn't able to level up. Or do you think there's a different assessment? I think that that's, that always is going to factor in because if you can't rely on somebody to show up on time and come to work, then it's really hard to plan around them as Sid makes his way to the ring. Uh, <laughs> so that it's, that definitely goes hand in hand, but also as far as Ken didn't have the best verbal skills and could not cut that, that promo that you wanted in the ring, nothing wrong with his ring work and nothing wrong with his intensity there, but it's, the total package that's going to sell and the total package is going to be pushed. It is fun. You know, when Sid's coming to the ring and we're saying, well, fence can't rely on you. He won't give you the top spot. I guess if you're six ten, and look like a Greek God, he'll make some concessions every now and again. Yeah, but not for long. That's true. Eventually it'll, yeah. Eventually it'll come back and bite you in the ass, especially during softball season. You know, we've talked about it before, but I always loved the, the Sid pyro piece. I'll admit I'm, uh, ignorant to pyro financials. What's something like that cost to, to run that Sid effect, the, uh, the flaming S I D just ballpark it. What would you say? Oh God, I have absolutely no idea. Whatever I tell you'd be a lie. Um, but that, that particular piece really for that kind of pyro. That's not that expensive. Those are sparklers. Still looks cool though. It does. It looks great. And that came from the idea of the original when Lawrence Taylor, WrestleMania 11, the pyro was supposed to be this giant LT coming down from the ceiling with 
sparklers and everything. And the first time that we did it in rehearsal, the the T broke. And so we didn't use it. It's not funny, Conrad. You know, we just can't just have L and a crooked T. It's true. It's true. He was LT, not L crooked T. What can you tell us? I guess we, we just saw, uh, Paul Heyman out there. We just spent a lot of time talking about Paul outside of you making fun of the bald spot. How was Paul Heyman with, uh, the office and the boys and the talent and all that? Because this is a time where a lot of his guys are jumping ship and, um, they're leaving him, whether it's to go to WCW where, you know, Raven has just left and he's gone to WCW. He's been one of the top stars and allegedly they're talking to a lot more like Stevie Richards. And of course we know that trend's going to continue. Sandman, Mikey Whipwreck on and on. Was he at all concerned about some of his talent? maybe being picked off by the WWF, even though things are good. If Vince really wanted one of these guys, there's not much Paul could do to stop it. Yeah. Paul was definitely concerned. Hence why he wanted to make the agreement work with us versus against us so that he had some kind of leverage to be able to come back and utilize, you know, get a Jerry Lawler for his pay-per-view or even a Jim Cornette or whoever that may be. So, we were reciprocating to ECW. So that was good for Paul's business. Tell us what you see here when you're watching this match for the first time in a long time. I see Owen Hart just showing with little tiny things why he is so sorely missed because he was so frigging good working with a guy the same size as him, or in this case, Working with somebody damn near a foot taller than him and, and maybe even having, you know, what, shit, 70 pounds on him in Sid Vicious and this look and making it all believable because Owen was just that good. Everything he did, you believed from Owen and from his opponent. Yeah. Owen Hart was one of those guys you put in the ring to make somebody. Oh boy. And then Sid with his, whatever those strikes were. <laughs> what? I don't know. It's just fun to hear you. Oh boy. What oh a, boy. That's very Pat Patterson. Well, oh boy. Sometimes that's all it deserves. <laughs> oh boy. It was so yeah. awkward to see Neidhart pick him up to drop him. I don't think Sid knew what the fuck. Where where are we going? What are we doing? Put me down. Yeah. And terrified of it. Yes. Here comes uh Shamrock to right the wrongs here. That is a load. Ken yeah. Shamrock belly to belly suplexing Jim Neidhart is a load. You know, it's funny as you go through here and you look at this and, and Mike Kyoto looks like a baby kid. Mike Kyoto, of course, third man in the ring, the referee. And and Mike has aged a little bit in these 20 years. 25, shit. 22. What You know what I mean, Conrad. Don't make me do math. 
Psycho Sid, your winner, by God. And you got to love some of the signs in the back. Hey, Elk Boy. Elk Boy. I wonder if Elk Boy is listening now somewhere, you think? I think he is. I think Elk, I think Elk Boy is hung in and, and is a big something to wrestle with fan. How <laughs> about the ones that just says, I'm on TV? <laughs> well, yeah. So there you go. Last, uh, last Saturday on shotgun Saturday night, boy, when I see shotgun Saturday night being filmed in the arena, this is just not what I remember about shotgun. So I, I liked the old, the original incarnation where we're in these small little intimate New York city clubs. That was fun. It was, but boy, that was a pain in the ass. Oh my God. That was a pain in the ass. You would have to go to different clubs, different, just different situations every single week and new challenges. Every time you turned around, here you go. One of the highest rated segments on the show, believe it or not, Sable modeling a raw as war shirt. And you guys were, were maximizing whatever revenue opportunity there was here earlier. We had Sable monitoring the shirt. Now, I mean, Sonny, now we've got Sable. We're pushing the replays real hard with video and still clips and quotes from fans. WWE is about that business, baby. And there she goes. You better believe it. Every chance that you can, you go out and get the dollar dollar bills. Starting that ass. But it's, I mean, this is twofold. This is going to be selling merchandise. Plus get your talent exposed, get them out there, get them in front of people where they want to see more, throw a little storyline in there and everybody's happy. I need that Mark Merrow gig where all I have to do is step out of the curtain for just a second, wave my hand, like, come on. And then grab a lady by the wrist, bring her back. Boom. Give me my check, Vince. I'm done. Woo. Pay me. I'm beat. I'm going to the house. Pay me, biatch. Well, Sassafras, uh, I'm, I'm here in my cowboy hat, and uh, I don't really want to wear this thing because I think it's silly. I think you're making fun of me. Don't know, but th- th- this was a little uncomfortable that we're going to go to here right now, and uh, damn it, Vance, I'm, I'm just got to say it. So we're going to the mankind interview, the sit down with Jim Ross. This is a payoff, right? Yeah, I think so. I think this is, um, as a reminder, by the way, you know, uh, you guys positioned, this is a multiple part interview. I've always been fascinated by this. You got clips from FMW. You got clips from, uh, ECW. How did you guys go about licensing? the FMW footage. We just asked them. Uh, we had a good working relationship with them through Victor Quinones and Quinones had ownership in a lot of that stuff. So they were happy to do it. What I was getting at though, is there's a multi-part interview here for weeks where we're getting sort of the mankind story of, you know, what's, what makes you the way that you are type deal. And we learn about dude love and we learn about, you know, him hitchhiking and seeing Superfly Snooker jump off the top of the cage. And so we get the real backstory and we also, you know, hear about his pain as a kid, uh, having to eat worms and things like that. But this is going to be the payoff. I believe this week 
but he's been positioned as this sympathetic baby face up until now where, you know, kids made fun of me and they were mean to me. And, you know, I just wanted to fit in and I wanted to kiss a girl and blah, blah, blah. And even earlier, you know, when he's telling China, I'm a good kisser the night before, you know, he came out at King of the ring without Paul bear, which is, you know, making fans think, okay, well maybe he's a good guy now. And triple H who is definitely a heel just beat the shit out of him even after the match. And it happened earlier, even on this card. So we've been positioning him so far as, okay, we're going to leave the baby face uh, or the, the, the heel persona behind. We're going to ease him into being a baby face now by telling his real story and getting some sympathy. But then at the end of this, he, he fucking attacks Jr. Like, and, and since it's pre-taped, Jr. has been doing commentary for weeks since this. And he knows at the end he gets attacked, but he's still selling that mankind's a baby face, but he's about to get attacked. What the fuck? Well, if you want to make someone a baby face, have him attack Jr. Trust me. <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, so yeah, I, I, it was one of those compelling stories. And this was something that this whole this whole interview deal was, and I believe it was something Jr. actually pitched to do to bring out to the story of mankind and kind of get beyond the mask and the music and what we had done up until this point and kind of dig into the layers of Mick Foley and the different machinations of this character and, and cactus Jack and let all these multiple personalities come out in a quote, sit down, you know, real interview. Right. To let people, you know, it's like that 60 minutes when you, you view someone one way because of their job title or, or actions of their past. And you dig deep in that interview and you find out, Hey, now I understand why they did what they did. And that was the idea here with Mick. And I think it was absolutely masterfully done on all parts. Getting a little com uncomfortable here, Mick, with your, 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 your looking at me and placing that sock on your fingers for the mandible claw. I don't, I don't, don't hit yourself, Mick. Uh, that, that's, that's, that's disturbing. I don't know why Jarrah looks like he just smelled a really deadly fart. I'm going to uh, play a little audio here for people at home. Just for a second. Is it where a doctor injects a 12 inch needle into the discs in my spine so I can wrestle one more day? Whoopee! Let the party begin. I can't believe you sit here and ask me those questions. Do I bring it on to myself? I haven't done a damn thing to you. All you've done to people is mislead them. Yeah, this was this was my favorite look for mankind. I just I love I love the hair and the shaving of, the, of everything and the ear pulled back whole nine yards there. Unfortunately, that hat didn't come off. But oh my god, Jr's down. Jr's down. My God, I love the, the squeals that mankind's making, you know, it's almost like a pig. Hey, hey. 
Uh, chat me up though. I, I, I can't believe I just realized this when, when he stood up and slapped and tipped his hat up with his hand and he says, you're going to sit there and look at me with that smug look on your face. That's fucking word for word. What mankind, I mean, what Vince McMahon said when he <laughs> smacked the papers out of that guy's hand on HBO, it was awesome. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, so there you Fresh go. Fresh. Her. <laughs> you got to feel bad for Jr. By the way, I uh, we talked about this briefly on on Jim Ross's podcast, grilling Jr. And he says that he gave him the working mandible claw. And I'll be honest, I didn't know there were two versions. Oh, there's a couple different versions. There, there's 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 a couple different working versions, and then there's a there's a house show version, and there's a television version. Yeah, tell everybody uh, about the different versions of the mandible claw. Well, there's the mandible claw where he sticks that thing down your gullet and actually sticks his fingers down your throat. And then there's one where he actually will pull his fingers in and just put it on your lip. And, uh, it's just for the, depending upon who you are is what version that you actually get. But I think Jr. got it in the gullet there. It looked like he got some of that in there. He didn't get the, uh, undertaker version of it. He says he got the, uh, the working version. So well, just went down in front of the chin, but you're saying, nah, he probably wanted to rib the office and jam it in there. Well, no, I'm just saying it was close, close up television. You got to do it good for TV. Talk to me about the, uh, the creative genius that is rockabilly. Well, old Bart and Billy kind of run their courses, uh, cowboys <laughs> trying to come up with each of them to do something a little bit different. And honky was getting back in the fold and Vince was thinking of utilizing the honky talk man as a manager to help get some guys over that didn't necessarily have the best, uh, speaking skills and Billy Gunn kind of fit that category. So to do a, uh, I guess, Rockabilly was an, another version of, of Double J with with uh, Billy Gunn, so to speak. But it just, yeah, that was another one. It's just kind of a fart in church. And I thought, you know, okay, folks, yes, that was one of my shitty ideas. But I, uh, I thought Honky, I thought Honky would make a really great mouthpiece, and people. I think honky overshadowed anybody that we put him with because he was just such a strong personality. I love, um, part of that interview we just saw, you should go back and watch it. It's the fourth and final installment of this interview series. Jr. asked cactus why he never came to the WWF. And he says, I wasn't welcome. I would have set the WWF on its ear. Every time I put the mandible claw on, I'm thinking, it's Vince McMahon. And I'm asking you, why didn't you take me when I was good? Why didn't you take me when I was young? I thought that was tremendous. Because it's the truth. <laughs> and that's why it feels so good because that is part of, you know, Mick Foley deep down. That is so much a part of his, of his story that if we had Mick, back when Mick was not as beaten up and not as beaten down per se, 
that I think you would have had a completely um, different scenario. But at the same time, there's nothing wrong with the mankind and the Mick Foley that we did get. I think he had one hell of a great career. Oh, look at Rockabilly dance. He's doing the Rockabilly. That's what they call the Rockabilly. I do want to um, encourage everybody again to watch the interview. They talk about, you know, Shawn Michaels. And of course, that's where in this interview series, where we first learn about dude love. And he says about Sean, we had the same dream. So why does he look like he does? And why do I look like lit like this? Do you think it's unfair for me to wish him a lifetime of misery? I don't think that's unfair at all. I think that's a perfectly logical thing to ask. I'm not ashamed. I wish him and a lot of WWF superstars, nothing but trauma and tragedy in their professional and personal lives. Does that make me a bad person? It's good stuff, man. It's great stuff because it's true. And you can feel that. I think people at home, when they look at someone that they're jealous of and say, that should have been me. Is there anything wrong with that? Depends on who you ask. It was funny too, because, um, when he finally attacks Jr., you know, he's saying it's, it's time you do your damn job. It's time you put aside the facade of journalistic integrity. You tell people week after week that mankind might like pain. You're a powerful man, Jimmy. You have the ability to reach a lot of people to spread the truth and you neglect to do it. Let me ask you a couple of questions. What is it about pain that I love? See, I feel pain and I hurt just like every other person. And that's when he started hitting himself. And he says, you see that that hurts. And that's when he attacked him. But then afterwards, as JR's, you know, coughing and hacking away, mankind backs away and says, he's going to need some help. Golly, this is one of the best characters ever. And here's one of the best factions ever. The heart foundation gearing up and they're not happy with the camera being there, but of course, Brett's not there. He left, but everybody else is there. Nice way to go to commercial there. Who would have done a shot like that? God. Well, I probably did it at that point, but it was just, you know, again, you're always looking for different things to do in a different way to make the same presentation. And that was, that was it utilizing the personality of Brian Pillman. What would he do and make, make his shit appear to be different. And this was just, I mean, good God, Steven Pillman. What could have been, man, you know, if Pillman would have been able to go, of course they did this angle in late 96, because the plan when you got signed Pillman was that his, his ankle would heal and he would be able to go. And, and every time he was ready to go, he couldn't. And, and even here, he still hasn't, this is his first match back. And, uh, it's not going to happen the way we hope it will, because he's still not ready. And of course. Austin is the person who's tweaked his knee the night before. So he's the reason it's not going to happen here, but Pillman, despite all the surgeries and all the best efforts and all the patients in the world, he just can't get right with this ankle. No, it was a lot of snake bit, man. A lot of injuries and just shit going on. And when you think about how many injuries and how many start stops that we had with stone cold and, and trying to get him and still the level of success, um, unheard of at the time with Austin 
just says so much to how strong and how over that Stone Cold character was. Pat Patterson out there with his green silk jacket that I brought him back from Hong Kong that he wore everywhere. Got up, chase. Probably a cigarette behind his ear, too. So I always used to love whenever Pat would go out, he'd either, he would either have a cigarette or a pencil behind his ear. You never know. So Mankind's out here, of course, the, the long awaited stone cold, Brian Pillman match is not going to happen. Mankind's going to fill in with Pillman. It's just going to sort of be there sort of is what it is. Not exactly the way you guys were hoping to, to debut and show off your big investment in Brian Pillman here. I mean, it's been a long time coming, uh, more than a year at this point, and, and we're still not, we're still not getting it. No, we're not. And also it's, it's, you're having no idea how Pillman's going to hold up. Right. We just did not know. And it had taken a long time to be able to get this far to get him in the ring to see. So you're crossing your fingers going shit. Now the guy that we just built the program around for the last, however many months now he's hurt. How long is that going to take? Um, so many unknowns and so many times where we would get snake bit when you started to get something going and, and feeling good. Oh, that backdrop on the fucking ramp, man, that has no give none. It's steel. I just, and that's the thing. Like there are countless bumps like that, that Foley has taken over his career that, you know, people don't talk about, but my gosh, getting backdropped on the ramp, the steel ramp, it's just something else. I mean, this is a guy I've seen him before get on the top rope. Oh, here we go. We're going to get a replay here. What a sickening, sickening thud. This is on metal. Yep. As you hear his head. God dang. Has anybody given more to wrestling than Mick Foley? Dude, that dude was just, he's throwing himself in every time. And you can see he's even messed up the mankind mask It's coming undone here. Bastard. It's unbelievable. Well, it's kind of like the, uh, the crown from triple H. How bad did that mask smell by this point? You know what? I don't, I I think it smelled pretty bad, but not nearly as bad as Vader's gloves and, and mask. Yeah. Vader's mask and gloves were. All kinds of different levels of stinky. It's crazy to think about too, how much of this talent that we've seen on this show used to be a WCW talent, you know, Brian Pillman, mankind. I think a lot of people forget that Owen Hart even had a cup of coffee there. Obviously Steve Austin, uh, Mark Merrow, Sid, two cold Scorpio. Rob Van Dam was there for a cup of coffee. I mean, just on and on as you go up and down this show, you know, it, guys like gold dust and the British bulldog and Farouk. So many of these guys had been on the WCW side of things. I mean, even 
the road warriors. And yeah, here they all are here and they're going to set the woods on fire. Absolutely. Look at the clumps of mankind's hair in the middle of the ring. Holy shit. A lot of that going around on this show. Yeah, that was mixed gimmick too, to pull his own hair out. So let's talk about the next day, you know, after this big Brett Sean debacle that happens here the next day, it's Tuesday morning. What's your conversation with Vince like? Well, at that point, you just have to look at the immediate future. You can't really make any long-term plans. You have to look at what's in front of us right now. What do we need to adjust and what are we going to do? And man, you, you make your adjustments on the fly and go. So it's, it's, it's a matter of what's in front of me and that's how you have to look at it. And then once you have time to come back and evaluate, know where everybody is and know when, you know, you can actually make a decision based on suspensions or whatever, you know, attitudes, whole nine yards, then you can make those decisions. But right now it's let's get, let's get through what we have to get through right now. Double arm DDT. He's calling for that mandible claw. Looks like something else when he's holding it up like that, doesn't it? Looks a little Steve Austin-ish, doesn't it? A little bit. See. And down comes the Heart Foundation. So now it's firmly set that we know Ken Shamrock's going to be one of the guys in that 10-man tag. And we know for sure that Goldust is going to be. And we know for sure that Shamrock is going to be. And we know for sure that Austin is going to be. It's just crazy to think. Shawn Michaels could have been in that too. God dang. That would have been like you said, riot level. Yeah, really would have. And you look at these baby faces that, that are in the ring right now and, you know, a hobbling Steve Austin and mankind and people just looking at it going Austin and, and mankind being heels just not that long ago. Now being two of the most polarizing popular talent anywhere what a great segment that was that we just saw like austin's just backing up as he's taking it in and he accidentally steps on mankind's foot and he turns around and looks and just gives a stare and you catch it from the other side where he's not really sure what to make out of this like are you a good guy are you a bad guy are you on my side can i trust you whatever and then just to make sure you understand it's still dta for stone cold steve austin here comes a stunner and some birds for Mr. Shamrock and we're off the air. You know, I know it got smashed in the ratings by nitro, but I really enjoyed that show. I mean, there's so much good stuff on there. Uh, it, it, it was a great year for the WWF. What'd you think of that show? 22 years later, man, going back and watch it <laughs> and not seeing it. And yeah, that was the first time it was, I thought it was a good show. I can't think of anything on that whole thing that we really said, oh, that sucked. That was terrible. You know, worst thing on it is Billy Gunn and, and Bart, but the match itself wasn't bad. Yeah, the match wasn't bad, and the story was decent, and it's two quote-unquote brothers against each other, but that rockabilly gimmick sucked. But Turo doesn't suck. It's the largest car-sharing marketplace in the world. You can book any car you want from a community of trusted hosts, from exotic sports cars to pickup trucks, Turo has the widest selection of cars available anywhere 
for whatever occasion. So download the Turo app. That's T-U-R-O on the app store or Google play or visit Turo.com. And you'll get $25 off your first trip. When you sign up with our promo code WrestleJune at checkout, uh, terms apply next week, though, we're bringing you King of the ring, 1994. Of course, the raw we just covered was the one day after King of the ring 97. Let's go back three years when 12,000 people, uh, gathered together in the Baltimore area for the June 19th, 1994 edition of King of the ring. Now this is known for a few different reasons. One of which. Excuse me. Art Donovan is on commentary, believe it or not. We've got Razor Ramon, Bam Bam Bigelow, Erwin R. Scheister, Mabel, Owen Hart, Tatanka, the one, two, three kid, Jeff Jarrett, Diesel, Brett, um, the head shrinkers, Crush and Yokozuna, Roddy Piper and Jerry Lawler. Lots of great talent on this show, but not a great show. King of the Ring 94. Where does it rank in your list of all time worst pay-per-views? Well, definitely the all-time worst King of the Ring, bar none. And let me just could go down as is the worst summertime pay-per-view special we've ever had. Now I like that. That's 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 a statement from you, and it is yeah. one of the worst shows ever. And I'm looking forward to covering it because the bad shows are sometimes the most fun to talk about. I don't know why that is, but it's made a lot of lists for uh, the worst pay-per-view ever and we're looking forward to covering it next week uh so stay tuned next week uh friday at noon it's your friday noon main event something to wrestle with bruce pritchard when we uh visit king of the ring 1994 in the meantime if you'd like to chat with bruce by all means catch him on twitter he is at bruce pritchard i am a hey hey it's conrad and of course we are at pritchard show on twitter you'll be able to ask questions later this week uh, for King of the Ring 1994, if you'd like to participate next week. And Bruce, we appreciate you powering through today with uh, a toothache fresh off of, uh, <laughs> I don't know, three weeks straight on the road, including a trip around the world twice, it feels like, huh? It certainly does, but by God, I'm glad to be back and uh, back in the saddle. You know, now that I'm thinking about it, that ECW dis- uh, December to Dismember or whatever, that's got to be the worst, but this King of the Ring, this is on the list. Okay, but it's the worst one. It's going to be the worst one that I was involved with. Certainly the worst summer one ever. Stay tuned next week. King of the Ring 94. We're going to get weird. Looking forward to it. See you next Friday, noon, right here on Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Shaka Khan. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.